Now, look at uh, verse five with me, please, in your uh, scriptures. Luke 17, just going to read verses five through verse 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Amen. Now, last week, you'll remember that we were talking about two things. Number one, we were talking about the seriousness of sin. And then the second thing we spoke of was the seriousness of forgiveness. That the Lord takes both of these subjects seriously. He uh, is earnest about the subject of sin because sin is uh, so sinful. It is terrible. It brings about death. Death is a consequence of, of sin. Not necessarily meaning that an individual's sin necessarily leads to an individual's particular death, but sin in general leads to the death of us all. We are all terminal in this world. There is coming a time when our lives will come to an end. We are given 70 years with extra strength, 80 some years, and then comes the judgment for us. And that is because of the consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve, the seriousness of sin. And only death itself really can awaken us to just how terrible sin really is. But there's also good news, and that is that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, to save people who recognize the awfulness of sin and who recognize the only way out of this Tremendous problem in this world is by putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we really are forgiven. Why? Well, because Christ is perfect and he lived a holy life that you and I have not lived, nor could we have ever lived because we were born sinners and a sinner can't live a righteous life. So what do we do? Well, we look to God. God saves us while we were still helpless, while we were unable uh, to deliver ourselves. Christ was able to do. He lived for you. He dies for you. He's raised from the dead for you. He ascends to heaven for you. Everything that Jesus is, everything Jesus does is for you, the sinner. This is why faith is so important. And uh, we're going to talk about faith here in verses five through ten. Now, Luke is leading and guiding us here, telling us about the seriousness of sin, the the seriousness of forgiveness, that if your brother uh, is sinning and you rebuke your brother and he repents, we have an obligation to forgive um, because we have been forgiven. We cannot hold something against somebody else when we ourselves have been pardoned by God. And you remember the parable of the two servants. One servant owed a billion dollars and another servant owed a few dozen dollars. And the guy who has forgiven his billion dollars 
uh, didn't forgive the servant, the slave who owed him a few bucks and started to strangle him until word came back to the king who forgave the big debt and said, I forgave you a huge debt, a billion dollars, and yet you can't seem to forgive just even this little debt that is owed to you. It's because he didn't have faith in the Lord. If he had faith in the Lord and had seen the the preciousness of what he had been forgiven, the amount he had been forgiven, he would have the grace to extend that grace to others. Well, notice here, the commentaries, when you get to verse 5, don't really know what to do with verse 5 in its context. That is, is verse 5 a separate thought that Luke is just introducing here, or is it just tied to the subject of forgiveness here? Some have thought that when the, when the disciples hear that they have to forgive their brother even seven times a day, if he keeps asking for forgiveness, they, they get to the point when they say, well, Lord, increase my faith. We, we don't have that kind of faith. If my brother keeps sinning and I keep rebuking him and he keeps saying, please forgive me, I, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. Now, we don't know whether Luke is tying that to the previous section or not, but it's possible. And I just want you to know that good commentators wrestle with that, and I'm not sure there's a clear answer. What I want to do, though, with this section in verses 5 through 10 is get you to think on two things this morning. Number one, I want us to think about what is the nature of the faith that the disciples are asking for. When they say increase our faith, what are they asking the Lord to do? What is the nature of their faith? The second thing that I want us to see, and that's coming from verses 5 and 6. And the second point is coming from verses 7 to 10, when Luke takes up another parable here about uh, a servant who comes in from the field and serves his master dinner. And that is about the necessity of faith. And I want to I explain why uh, that parable, I think, is really talking about why faith is absolutely necessary why can't you just be a good guy? Why can't you just be a good neighbor? Why can't you just do more good things than bad things and, and be forgiven and go to heaven? Uh, why, why is faith such an essential part of the equation in our relationship to the Lord? So I want to talk about those two things here. Let's talk about the nature of the faith itself from verses 5 and 6. Notice that in verse 5, Luke says that the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, again, we don't understand the context necessarily. Luke has strung these things together. Did they happen historically that way or not? I don't know. Sometimes the gospel writers will string things together for their own purposes under the Holy Spirit that may not have chronologically happened together. Um, that's why sometimes you get some stories in one gospel writer that are at the front of the gospel Another gospel writer will put them later down the road. One may have a chronological purpose, one may have a theological purpose. But all that to say, the apostles are saying, Lord, increase our faith. Now, what I want you to see here is um, a couple things. First of all, this is dealt with in a variety of places in the gospels in different contexts. So, for example, in, in Matthew chapter 17, we see the similar theme come up, but it's in a different context. In Matthew chapter 17, the issue of faith is brought up in the context of the demoniac boy who the disciples try to heal. Remember, Jesus and three of the disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. The remainder of them are back down. 
there's a father pleading with them for their son, for his son, and they can't seem to be able to help him. And the boy keeps throwing himself into the fire and and uh, and sometimes into the water, trying to drown himself. And Jesus finally comes down. and He kind of saves the day and what the disciples are unable to do. Um, Jesus is able to do getting the, the boy healed of his demon possession. So the disciples come to Jesus privately and they said, why couldn't we not drive out this demon? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, notice in the Luke account that you have the similar theme, but it's a little bit different, both in context and in the in the specifics here. We're not dealing with a mountain, but in verse six, Jesus is saying, if you had faith like a mustard seed. So the idea here again of a mustard seed being very, very small, boys and girls. I believe if you go to the grocery store in the spice section, you will find mustard seeds in the jar. If you ever want to see what Jesus is talking about, go on the spice aisle and look. They're in alphabetical order and look for mustard seed. Uh, he said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, something small, you will say to this mulberry tree. Now, uh, we are assuming that it is a, a, a mulberry tree in the Greek. It's a different word. And we there is a little question mark about the, the type of tree in view here. <clears throat> but most commentators are in agreement that it is a type of tree there that in the Middle East has very deep roots. That's, it's difficult to get transplanted. So you have this mulberry tree and Jesus saying, if you have faith, as tiny as a mustard seed, you can say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. So it's very similar to what we see in Matthew, where it's a mountain. But the idea here is that it, is, it takes only small faith to be able to do great things. The, the problem uh, in the case of the disciples was they didn't have faith. Their faith was even smaller than that of a mustard seed. Now. What is Jesus saying here? I think what what Jesus is saying here, when the disciples say increase our faith. He is saying, first of all, it doesn't take much faith. To do great things for the Lord. Even a little bit of faith. Devoid of we're assuming here devoid of sinful and selfish desires, because sometimes we can. The Bible says we can pray amiss sometimes. We don't always have our right motives. Sometimes we want God to do something for reasons that are not consistent with his will and that maybe even be sinful or selfish. And, you know, even the Apostle Paul would pray that the Lord would take the thorn out of his flesh. I think that's a legitimate thing to pray for. And Paul certainly was not a man who was lacking faith, but sometimes it just wasn't in the Lord's will. The Lord said, no, Paul, I'm giving you these great revelations and if I don't give you a little thorn in the flesh, these revelations are going to puff you up and make you unbearable. You're not going to be a, a faithful apostle. I need to give you this messenger from Satan for your own good. And even though you're asking in a lawful way with faith for God to take this out of my life, my grace is going to be perfected in your weakness. And so sometimes that's why. A lot of us, we are praying for things that are lawful. We may be rightly motivated and you wonder why the Lord hasn't yet 
done that for us? Well, it may be that the Lord is doing other things in our lives that are better for us in the long run. And therefore, his, his answer is no. But if it's within the will of God, if it's not for anything selfish, then even a little faith is able to do something very powerful. Faith in the Lord. The point here is that Jesus is saying faith in the Lord is very powerful. Faith in the Lord can do that which seems, humanly speaking, impossible. You know, uh, boys and girls, um, you maybe know the name John Knox. You've, you've heard about him uh, in this church. Maybe you've, you've been over to my house and you've seen that man with the really long beard down to his stomach over the dining room table, you know, and you're wondering, who is that guy? Well, that's that's John Knox. And, you know, John Knox was one of the reformers of the Protestant Reformation. And he was friends with John Calvin in Geneva. But John Knox was not French like Calvin. And uh, he, uh, though, spent some time on the continent of Europe. He was from Scotland. And for a while he was in exile, but he came back. You know, one of the things that was said about John Knox, boys and girls, was that John Knox was a great, great man of faith. And even when he was dead, it was said that one prominent Scotsman stood over the casket of John Knox and said, here lies a man who feared no other man because of his faith. And it was said Queen Mary, who often was in opposition to John Knox, Queen Mary she said, uh, supposedly feared John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men because she knew of the kind of faith that John Knox had. That is, she knew there was a power to the prayers of John Knox that scared her uh, and caused her, even as a queen who has all kinds of unrestrained power compared to what we place on Monarchs and presidents and prime ministers today uh, able to do, uh, humanly speaking, great and terrible things. Nevertheless, she was afraid of the prayers of John Knox because he was a man of faith. And Jesus is saying here, really, what's important here is not the size of our faith. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but the object of our faith. So I want to encourage even a poor weak, newborn Christian baby who has genuine faith has tremendous power at their disposal and it's because of the object of their faith. You know, sometimes newborn Christians actually get more answers to prayer than mature Christians. Um, And it it is not... uh, due to their faith being larger, it's actually due to their faith being smaller, um, that their faith is weaker. The Puritans used to give the illustration when you have multiple children, those many of you have been there, and you've got a little one, a toddler, in the high chair, uh, who do you feed first? Well, you, you feed the, the, the toddler first. If you start feeding the older kids and the toddler's just still sitting there in his uh, high chair. He's not going to understand, and there's going to be there's going to be uh, much wailing here soon. And so you feed the young one first. The youngest youngest one doesn't understand uh, as much as the older ones do. In some ways, God will do that. He will recognize the faith of a newborn Christian, uh, 
um, many times sooner than those of the mature. Faith um, is, is the empty hand, uh, said Derek Thomas. It is the empty hand reaching out to Christ. It, it is the acknowledgement that we have nothing in ourselves that could earn us the rights or favor of God. And we are completely dependent upon God's grace and his mercy. If you have your hymnal with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to a few places um, in the back. Start with uh, page 927. Let me use this also as an opportunity to encourage you, if you have not yet purchased a few of these Psalter hymnals for your home, to recommend that you do so. It's a great theological resource, both in song, but also in the back. We have all the confessions and catechisms of the Dutch Reformed tradition and also of the Presbyterian tradition of Scotland, England and Ireland. And uh, on page 927, you'll notice uh, chapter 14, there's a a section here on saving faith. I just want to look with that at that with you just here for a second of saving faith. The Westminster Divines say in section one, the grace of faith, there is, is a grace given to us. Faith comes from God. It's not something we ourselves produce, but the grace of faith. Whereby the elect are enabled to believe to their to the saving of their souls. Now, notice here, this is the nature of faith. It is the work of the spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. So if one of the ways, if you're asking yourself or you're saying to the Lord, Lord, increase my faith. How do I increase my faith? How do I get faith if I'm here this morning and don't have faith? How do you get faith? If it's from God, what do I do? How do I find it? Well, we ask the Lord for it, but we also do what? We do what we're doing right now. We put ourselves under the word because it's the the preaching, the teaching, the reading of the word that the spirit uses to work faith in us. That's how we. Come to know Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways I came to know Jesus Christ. I didn't come from a Christian home. I, I, I didn't, wasn't taught these things, but I, what did I do? I started reading the Bible. I bought a Bible. I went to the bookstore and bought a Bible. Started reading my Bible. I started uh, talking to people who had faith, asking them questions about it. And then I went to church. And I, I went to church and I listened to the preaching and the teaching and and that was what the Lord used to give me faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why I, I came to faith? Well, I saw a Savior now. I, it, things made sense that formerly didn't make sense. Why is the world a mess? Well, because of sin. Seeing that I'm a part of the problem, I'm a sinner too. But God has given provision for the mess, Jesus Christ. So faith comes by the Word, by His Spirit, through the Word, and also by the administration of the sacraments, And prayer, it is increased and strengthened. And so, you know, I would pray by my bedside. I would pray that uh, the Lord might save me, that uh, I might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would ask God, you know, to, to forgive me of my sins and to help me put my trust in Jesus Christ. Look at section two. By this faith, 
A Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself speaketh therein and acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth. So basically it's just saying that we when we hear the word of God, we, we receive it as the word of God and we believe. And then here we obey with evangelical faith, yielding obedience to its commands, trembling at its threatenings and embracing the promises then look at uh, section three here. This faith is different in degrees. So here it is true. There, there's small faith, little faith, and there's great faith. Some people are gifted with the gift of faith. Uh, they, they, they have great faith when all seems dark and people are beside themselves. You know, you, you think of the children of Israel and they have the ocean in front of them and they have the Pharaoh and his army behind them. And they don't have faith. They say, this is it. We're going to die. And Moses is praying. And God says, Moses, quit crying out to me. Lift up your staff. And he lifts it up and the Red Sea parts. So Moses had faith in a a degree that was greater than the people. Um, The faith here may be often and in many ways assailed and weakened. Sometimes we can hurt our faith by doing things we shouldn't do, uh, by sinning, by not repenting. We can hurt our faith. But true faith will gain the victory, gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. And then there, there are other places you can go. There's the shorter catechism. Um, also, the uh, I'll, I'll read you just real quickly the. Shorter catechisms on page 974. There's a larger catechism, also the Heidelberg Catechism. All speak to this subject. Nine, page 974. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. So faith is looking outside of yourself, looking to the person of Jesus, looking to him in his person, but also in what Jesus has done. So that's why we speak about the person of Christ and the works of Christ, the, the individual of Jesus, but also the cross of, of Jesus Christ. We, we look at who Jesus is, the son of God, very God of God, truly a man. We look at what Jesus has done. Oh, perfect life. Sinless in his thoughts, words, deeds, perfect in his sacrifice on the cross, taking our sin, perfect in death, perfect in his resurrection from the dead, vindicated by the father, perfect uh, in his ascension as king, as our high priest. We look to Jesus in the three offices of Jesus. You look to Jesus as your prophet. He's the word incarnate. You look to Jesus as your priest. You don't need a human priest. Boys and girls, you, you don't need a, an individual. You don't have to get in a box with a, a man on the other side of the wall and confess your sins to that man in order to get forgiveness. You, you go to Jesus. He's the great high priest. And, and, and you confess your sins to him and, and you will receive pardon. And, and Jesus is a prophet, priest and king looking to Jesus as your Lord, accepting him and doing what he says. Trusting him as as somebody who loves you, as he's done everything for you now, what won't you do for him? 
if he, if he commands it in the Bible. Let me make a few applications about faith here. Uh, some of these we've already discussed a little bit, but how do I increase my faith? How do I exercise faith? Well, number one, uh, as we saw here from the confession, we, we gain faith by reading the scriptures, studying the word of God, meditating on it, listening to the preaching of it, applying the preaching, not just listening to it and forgetting it or listening to it and ignoring it, but Letting God apply it to our lives, we applying it. And secondly, that's we increase our faith by what I'm calling evangelical obedience. That is putting feet to our faith in the details of your life so that, for example, when it says, boys and girls, when it says children, obey your parents in the Lord, there's an opportunity for you to have faith in Jesus. When it's when it says honor your mother and your father. Okay, when, when it says honor your parents, there's an opportunity. And, and other kids are speaking ill of their parents. You you refrain from that, maybe even admonish your friends for speaking ill of their parents. By, and, and, you know, because you are called to honor their parents, too. There's. There's exercising of faith. And and when you'll exercise faith in the details. God is often pleased to give you more faith and strengthen that faith. And it's like any muscle. The more you work it, the the stronger it gets. It's like when you exercise faith in, in the things God tells you to do, your faith gets stronger. So teenagers. Here's one for you, teenagers, teenagers, when when the Bible says. Obey the civil magistrate and you're at a party and there's underage drinking. What are you going to do? You better exercise faith. You better exercise faith and say the Bible says obey the civil magistrate. I'm a Christian. I'm baptized in the name of Jesus. I'm trusting him as my king and my Lord. I'm not 21 years old yet. It doesn't matter whether you agree with the law. I understand. I get it. That you can sacrifice a limb for the government in Iraq, but you can't have a beer. I get it. It's dumb. But that's not the point. The point is that God has instituted government for your good. And faith requires you to obey. And if you want your faith to be strengthened, you're going to have to obey in the details. When when the Bible says forgive. And somebody comes to you and says, will you please forgive me? Or they write you a letter saying, I am truly sorry. Will you will you pardon me? It's not an option. This is where faith Meets the rubber, you know, the rubber meets the road. This is where faith is exercised. In the details of life. In doing what God's word says. And if you won't exercise faith in these details, you're never going to have strong faith. Somebody once said to one of the Puritan ministers, why are you so precise? 
And he had a great answer. He said, because my God is precise. My God has given me details where I must exercise faith. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And so it it may mean that faith for you says, you know, we don't really have the money for the bass boat as much as I want it. And I'm not going to force my wife into the workplace just so I can get it. I'm going to I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to trust the Lord will provide and I'm going to love my wife and I'll be the one who sacrifices for her. And for her needs and her goals. Under the Lord. That's faith. Faith, again, means speed limit. Teenagers, 16 year olds. Faith, faith means the sign says 70. And it doesn't say 80. And you need to do 70-ish. <laughs> I realize that uh, they'll pull you over for a little bit higher. So we'll, we'll say that the civil magistrate has a flexibility there. But you know, you know when your conscience is saying, pushing the button and saying, uh-uh, too fast. You know when you've gone from omission, not paying attention and speeding, to commission. You know it. Don't lie. Your conscience is saying you're going too fast, and you ignore it, and what happens? God providentially puts a police officer on the side of the road for you. And he said, I told you. You weren't exercising faith in Jesus. I told you. I was warning your conscience. The light was going off and you kept ignoring it, suppressing it. And so I gave you a police officer in my sovereignty. Because I'm God and I can do that. I can put police officers wherever you're going. And there's, there's, there's no way you can escape God. So you need to exercise faith in, in the details. If you want your faith to grow... We have to obey right where faith requires us to obey at that moment. Tomorrow's obedience is today's disobedience. It's today's lack of faith. So I need to listen to the word. I need to study the word. I need to get my conscience informed by the word. I need to meditate on the word. But I also then need to apply evangelical faith, obedience to what I've heard and learned. And, and when we do that, that, that the Lord is pleased to build up our faith. You know, it, it's it's it is not. It is not an accident that people who say, I don't have faith anymore. In the Lord are also not doing the things that they should have been doing. Uh, you know, I had a friend. We were, we were good friends. She believed in the Lord. She professed faith in the Lord. Uh but later in college, she walked away from the Lord. She, she told me with tears that she didn't believe anymore. 
But she also walked away from the obedience of the Lord. And, and those two things often are, go hand in hand. You know, the, the, if, if you're struggling theologically to believe in Jesus, you might want to ask yourself, am I doing anything that keeps and hinders my faith in Christ? Keeps me from believing in Jesus Christ. You know, Spurgeon has a famous saying that Spurgeon used to say, show me the man who doesn't believe the Bible. Follow that man home and I'll soon show you why he doesn't believe the Bible. It it has nothing to do with the incomprehensibility of God. It often has more to do with just plain old disobedience. And and the reason for a want of faith in Jesus Christ is because of a want of trust in him. And that trust in him, if we are trusting in him, we have to trust him with the details of what he says in this book. And it's the unwillingness. It's not for a lack of evidence. It's not for a want of Revelation. There there is plenty of revelation both in nature and in Scripture to testify to the validity of God and His existence. It's an unwillingness. The problem is within ourselves. Now, why is faith so necessary, though, you say? Why can't we just be good? Why can't I just be a good person, do good things, and that's good enough for God? Why why can't I just live my own life and do what I want and and still go to heaven? Well, look look at the second part here in verse 7 to 10. And Jesus here explains why faith is necessary. Why is faith in Jesus Christ so necessary? So he gives a, a, he gives a, a, a parable. I'll just summarize it. It's a parable of a man, a landowner, and he's got a servant. And the servant's out plowing and he's tending the animals on the farm. And he comes in. Now, he doesn't come in and just sit down to eat. But what does he have to do? He has to prepare the owner of the home and the ranch, something first. So the servant comes in after working a hard day out in the field. Then he comes in and he makes dinner for the owner. And then he's allowed to sit down and eat himself. Now, notice here in verse nine, this is the point. Jesus says he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? Now, what's the point of that? Well, who's the servant in this parable? Well, we are. Who's the master? It's the Lord himself. He's the king. And the point is this. God tells us what to do. And even if we do everything that God says to do. God does not have to say thank you. (laughs) You only did what you were supposed to do. This was what was expected of you in the first place. That is, you can't put God in debt. 
by your works and your sacrifices. There's, there's nothing you and I can do that makes God go, whew, look at that. <laughs> I owe you something for that. You, you have done a work of, you know, what the Catholics call work of super arrogation, you know. A work beyond all works. A work above all merit. A work, something so great that they have a view that certain saints have been able to do certain works that are so meritorious that not only does it accrue merit for their own salvation, that it has enough left over to give to some others. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh. Yeah. Whatever our view of Mother Teresa is, she has never done anything whereby God says, yep, you've earned your way to heaven and you've got extra credit to give to others. And I'll give it to the Pope and he can dispense it however he wants. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory, even if hypothetically we weren't sinners and we did do everything we were supposed to do, we still are not in, God is not in our debt. We, we have only done what we were told to do. The problem is we don't even do what we were told to do. I mean, why even, you don't even have to get here. You, you, we were born conceived in sin. We, we never did what we were supposed to do. So the picture is actually far worse. And this is what Jesus is saying, why you need faith. Because without faith in God, it is impossible to please God. There's a sense that you and I cannot please God in and of ourselves apart from faith in Him. There's nothing we can do that will atone for our past mistakes. There, there, there is nothing that we could do that would gain us credit with God. Our, our situation apart from God Himself is hopeless. It's helpless. We, we, we are in such a poor condition that even if you are Mr. Rogers and you are the best neighbor in the whole world, you still go to hell. Because our good deeds are really, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, bad. We think they're good. But we don't realize the condition we're living in. It's kind of like living in a, in a very sad shanty section of, the, of a city. And, and you think, well, my shanty is a little bit bigger than my neighbor's. And therefore, it's... Uh, mine's good, but we don't realize it's all bad. Our works, the Bible says our works are as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The, the pastor stands is in much need of Jesus Christ as the parishioner does. The, the pastor's wife and the prostitute are in the same boat. Neither of them have the works necessary to go to heaven. 
And even if they did, God would say, you're still an unprofitable servant. So what, what are we to do? Well, we couldn't do anything. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Therefore, God did for us. God sent Christ. That's why Jesus came into the world. We can't save ourselves. And so Christ will save us. The answer to the problem has to come from outside of us. It has to come from outside of this world. It has to come from God coming down, God intervening, breaking into this sin-cursed world. It cannot, the answer cannot come from within the sin-cursed world. And so, weak as the law was, God did for us while we were yet sinners, sending Jesus Christ into the world to live righteously, to be the perfect neighbor, to be the one who could live a sinless life. And then take your sins and take my sins, because he has no sins to pay for himself. He's free of sin. He is free of guilt. He is free of condemnation for himself. So he will take our sin, he will take our guilt, and he will take our condemnation. And he will take our place. And that's why you have the cross. And so Christ dies on the cross for sinners. The reason faith is so essential, the reason it is so necessary, is because faith is the way a sinner lays hold of the answer provided by God. Faith simply is reaching out. To the provision of Christ, the provision of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith is the reason faith in Christ is necessary. Why my works will never pay. Why the works of the the Buddhist, the works of the Shintoist, the works of the Muslim, the works of the, the Western secularist never work is because they can't work. And it's not to say that I'm better than those religions. My religion is saying I'm as bad as they are, if not worse. But the Christian religion offers something that no other religion does offer. The answer is found in God himself. Not in the works, not in the gifts of the churchgoer, not in the giving of the tithe, not in the Sunday school teaching, not in the praying, not in the family devotions, not in the catechizing, not in nothing. None of these works is what we're ultimately trusting in. We trust only in the works of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. No catechism. No Presbyterianism. No BCO. No Westminster Confession of Faith. No amount of piety. I strip myself of all these things and I say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus alone. Jesus Christ. He's my only hope. I prostrate myself by faith at his feet. I wet his feet with the tears from my eyes. I wipe his feet with my hair. I recognize I am nothing. He is everything. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He is God himself incarnate. He is the answer to my great need. He's the answer to your great need. He is is the provision of God for salvation to everyone who will trust in him. That's what makes faith so essential. Because what faith is saying is, I can't do it. Faith is saying, I, I am not righteous. Faith is saying, I reject my righteousness. I reject self-righteousness. I reject my own merit. 
I, I receive only the righteousness and the merits of Jesus Christ. That's what faith does. That's why, you know, I think faith is demonstrated more than it is defined in the Bible. We, we see it more than we read about it. You, you see it in the Seraphonician woman who just won't give up. She's told that she's a dog. And rather than run away and, and get in a huff and say, I'm triggered. And I'm offended because you just called me a Gentile, a dog. What does she do? She latches by faith onto the fact that dogs get crumbs that fall from their master's table. And she takes what little what Jesus gave as a rebuff. She takes as ah, I'm in the door. Because even a dog gets the bread. And I want some bread. The Roman centurion sends a messenger. Go get Jesus. Bring him here. So that my servant can be healed. This is a guy who, in, in humanly speaking, had every right to call on Jesus. This is a guy who built synagogues for the Jews. He's a Gentile. He put his own money up. Because of his love for God's people, he put his own money up to build them synagogues. He spent his own capital. This is a guy who probably could have called on Jesus for human reason, if we had any reason. And what does he do? He later regrets that he sent a servant to come to his house. And he either himself or sends another servant and tells Jesus to stop. Because he realizes, what did I do? By asking Jesus to come to my house, it almost makes it seem like I'm worthy to have Jesus in my house. Like I've earned. And so he says, sends another one. He says, don't come. Don't come. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Just say the word. I'll believe. I'm a man under authority. I give orders and they're obeyed. I have to receive orders from my generals and I obey them. Jesus, you just say the word. He exercises faith, doesn't he? And what does Jesus say? I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. This kind of trust. Are you like that? Are you willing to say, Lord, just say the word. I'll believe. I'll trust. Lord, I'm not anybody special. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. I'm a Gentile dog. But I'll take what little promises you give me in the scriptures and I'll I'll latch on to those. I'll latch on to them like a terrier on a fox. I'll trust. You and I need faith. What do you do? Real quickly, three applications. Number one, ask the Lord for faith. Use the means of grace God gives to, to build up your faith. Number two, keep coming back to faith again and again. As sinners, even as Christians who are still not yet fully sanctified, even as Christians, we're always out of the perversity of our hearts. We're always trying to sneak over to self-righteousness. And we have to keep repenting 
of that desire to somehow find something meritorious within ourselves that makes it so that God owes us something. And we have to keep going back to faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. Because faith alone, the reason that one word alone is so important is because it means everything's on Jesus. This is why Roman Catholics, they choke on the word alone, says Sproul. We do them a disservice. We do Catholics a disservice when we say they don't believe in justification by faith. They do. It's the word alone that separates us from them on the doctrine of justification. And we insist on the word alone because it means it's only Jesus. It's not faith plus what I've done. It's faith plus nothing in Jesus is everything. And so we keep coming back to faith again and again because it brings us back to Christ again and again and again. It is all of Jesus. Here's the last thing. Keep your mind, the object of your faith, on Christ. Train your mind. One of the things I love about the Song of Solomon is it gives you a sense that these two lovers are always thinking about each other. The bride is always thinking about the bridegroom. The bridegroom has always got the bride on his mind. If you ever want an encouraging book, little book to read, Samuel Rutherford's letters. Rutherford, I think, is infatuated with the Song of Solomon. There are so many allusions to it in his letters. And yet it's, it's really one of the great neglected books in your Bible. But it's one of the, I think one of the things, it, it, it keeps the object of our faith on our minds. The loveliness of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. Let's pray together.